We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about the Matrix Resurrections, as well as the entirety of the Matrix franchise. Jesse, you want to try, if you can, to uh, catch us up a little bit on the state of the Matrix franchise and a little bit about Matrix Resurrections? I will try. You know, the beginning of the movie I kind of loved uh, because... I have myself really wondering if they were going to present the entire trilogy, the initial first three movies as just a, a fictional world. The movie starts off with Thomas Anderson. By the way, we're, we're, this is a spoiler. Oh, yeah, you can't talk about any of this stuff without spoiling it all. Like, so beware. Uh, and, available and now on that, HBO and, and Max. What's that? Available now on HBO Max if you need That's a pause, watch, say. and then uh, come back to us. That's right. Uh, HBO Max and also in theaters, if you're willing to brave the Omicron wilderness and uh, see it in theaters. That's a whole nother conversation, by the way, because uh, I think that's worth talking about, as we have with Wonder Woman 84, a number of other movies. Did the uh, uh, release of it on streaming services hurt the domestic box office? Um, something worth talking about again at the end. Yeah, but, I, right. <laughs> but but uh, I have I have feelings about that. Thomas Anderson, uh, Keanu Reeves, who we know as Neo, is a successful video game developer, and we find out that the movie starts off with the Matrix being a video game. Uh, he created it a video game. He comes uh, across. Uh, he he yearns for has his crush on this woman Tiffany, who looks a lot like Trinity. Um, he bases the character Trinity on her in, in, in the game played by Carrie Ann Moss. Um, and he operates a simulation, a model. Uh, Who has to, seemingly not aged a day, by the way, Carrie Ann Moss. Right. He has. <laughs> he looks Keanu old. Reeves, Keanu Reeves uh, looks a little bit his age. He looks Carrie old Moss AF. Right. He's ageless. Um, and then Timeless. in this, in this uh, uh, modal, uh, Bugs uh, sees this old code and she goes into it and it looks like the original matrix, that first scene. Um, but agent Smith is played by a guy who kind of looks like Morpheus, but isn't Morpheus. It turns out it's a, this is where it gets really confusing. It is a code version of Morpheus and agent Smith together. Um, and this, then this new Morbius played by uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, uh, the, the second. second. Yes. Uh, who, who we talked about, who, who was uh, Dr. Manhattan. Spoiler alert. In the Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah. Um, turns out uh, Morpheus is awakened and realized his job. Filmmakers is... seem to love depicting Yaya Abdul-Mateen, uh, the second. In uh, CGI? Uh, in CGI without clothes. Seriously. Like, you know, wow. he, that's his niche. He 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 is a looker. He, he, he has quite quite the specimen. 
Um, uh, Morpheus awakens, realizes his job is to awaken Neo. We see Neo being uh, saved, and he is in this whole separate area of Machine City. Um, and um, he is brought to the real world where we we see a very old Jada Pinkett Smith, Niobe, um, who we were introduced to in Reloaded and Resurrections. She is now uh, running the human worlds. Um, Morpheus has since died, we learned. Uh, if you are a f- fan of the Matrix video game, we learned that Morpheus actually died in the video game and the video game was canon. Uh, so they were stuck with that idea. But in this new world, um, machines can actually um, produce a machine-like image of themselves, or rather uh, uh, computers can produce a machine-like image of themselves and interact in the real world as well as humans going into the matrix. And uh, then the whole idea is Neo going back into the matrix to awaken Trinity and save Trinity. Uh, Throughout the movie, a couple of times we wonder, is he imagining this? Is he having a mental breakdown? What's going on? Because he meets with... uh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's character, who's his uh, doctor, his psychiatrist. We find out in the end that Neil Patrick Harris is actually bump, 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 the analyst who is the newest version of the architect. Uh, he rebooted the Matrix. And in this new version of the Matrix, it's all based on Neo and Trinity uh, being aware of each other and being a, but being apart from each other. The idea that... Um, the, the two of them together in close proximity, but suppressing their feelings for each other produces a more efficient power producing matrix um, without people wanting to leave. At the end of matrix revolutions, the architect and the Oracle have this deal that um, anybody who wants to leave the matrix and go to Zion can. And we find out um, that uh, turns out uh, too many humans left to go to Zion and um, uh, there wasn't enough power to to run Machine City and a civil war broke out between the machines. Uh, find that many of the machines take the side of the humans and uh, machines are, are working in some of these ships with the humans. Zion ends up being destroyed and there's now this city called Io, uh, which is where the humans live. And it's, um, you know, they're making uh, fruits and vegetables. They're eating pretty well. They're not eating that that goop that they were eating in the first Matrix movie. Uh, but the movie ends with a standoff and whether or not Trinity is going to um, go with Neo or stay with her family. Uh, and before the analysts could um, reboot the Matrix with a failsafe, uh, Trinity and Neo leave the Matrix and they're determined to save the world again, I guess. Um, not really sure what the ending meant, except now Trinity can fly, not just Neo. Um, they don't leave the Matrix, do they? Well, they, they they sort of fly out, fly into the air. They're going to free everybody from the Matrix, I guess, destroy the Matrix from within. Right, yeah. So I think that you're hitting on something that, that uh, is challenging about this movie is that... Just um, one thing? <laughs> uh, is that it is, um, you know... It, Listen, the the uh, the sequels especially uh, had this criticism that they were um, that they were you know sort of ponderous and uh, and and overly complicated. Um, in some ways, as I rewatched the sequels before uh, seeing Resurrections, we both um, did. I, yeah, um, 
What's that? We both did. Yeah. Um, I found that to be, a, you know, something of a strength rather than weakness. I, I, I remember originally being in the camp of, of people who were disappointed and frustrated with the sequels when they first came out um, and, uh, and, and finding that I enjoyed them a lot more upon rewatching. But in this case, and, and maybe it'll happen the same way as I when I rewatch this in 20 years. Uh, but, uh, you know, the uh, the. I'm not exactly sure what happened and for what reason in Matrix Resurrections. It seemed to me at the end of the movie that uh, that there was that what they realized is because of um, the kind of uh, delicate balance of the real world um, uh, and the dynamics between humans and machines, uh, the because there was uh, you know an, an increasing um, alliance, at least between some humans and some machines, that it was not um, advisable, that it was not desirable to uh, to free all human beings and to destroy the matrix, um, and that Neo and Trinity essentially decided that they would um, that they would keep the matrix running, but that they would be in charge of it. Right, that uh, that that they would, you know, paint the sky with rainbows that they wanted, just so people could see what free minds could do, like they said, uh, but not necessarily destroy the matrix and and free the humans and and you know defeat the machines. You know, that struck me as I rewatched the the original trilogy as something that was kind of bold about the original trilogy. That that when that the original movies ended. Um, at effectively a stalemate between uh, or a truce between the between the humans and the machines, it right. doesn't. The oracle exactly says there will be peace as long you, as it can last. Right. You you set the movie sets up this idea that like that that, that the world was broken um, by you know human endeavor and that created um, a machine civilization that has imprisoned human beings and you would think that the conclusion to the trilogy would be the humans overthrowing the machines, but that doesn't happen, right? They just kind of reset um, and enable, you know, humans still are imprisoned in the matrix for the most part, um, that, uh, that, that Zion gets saved. So there's still a human population in, Z in, in Zion in the real world and the machines get to, you know, control most of the rest of the world. So basically the movie, the trilogy basically ends where it begins um you know which is which is pretty bold when you think about it it's not like star wars where the original trilogy ends um with uh, the empire being toppled and the ewoks having a, a bonfire it sort of ends where it begins right that the matrix still exists people who want to leave can but they understand that some people, and I think that this was sort of a meta commentary on society. Some people prefer to live in the matrix instead of dealing, you know, pulling up their big boy pants, their big girl pants and living in the real worlds uh, as difficult as may be. They prefer to live in the matrix. Well, right. And you see that even in the first uh, installment of the matrix, the original uh, movie where, you know, Cypher uh, basically says that, you know, like, I know that all of this is fake, but you know what? I don't care. Ignorance is bliss. I want to eat fake steak. Right. You know, there are people who who prefer 
to uh, to you know to live blindly, right? Uh, to who prefer control, right? To use to go back to Marvel language and you know what Loki says about humans, right? You long to be ruled. You you say you want to be free, but you don't really want to be free. Um, I mean, listen, there is I think a lot to to commend that about the history of human civilization. Eric Fromm uh, wrote a, a a really powerful book. Um, uh, during the Nazi rise called Escape from Freedom, said there's something endemic to the human condition that, that makes us uh, recoil at the idea of true freedom. Uh, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel uh, uh, wrote a, uh, published a compilation of his essays called The Insecurity of Freedom, right? That, that freedom is terrifying. It's scary. Uh, and and you, you, take, you take the red pill and you saw what Zion was in uh, the, the trilogy it was a pretty rough world in reality. And the question is like, they show that like freedom is not great. Your mind is free, but is it worth it if you're living in a terrible world? Right. That's, that's right. You know, and I think that that's uh, uh, to again, bring star Wars into the discussion, right. Um, that um, uh Princess Amidala, Queen Amidala uh, says in, in uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, right? This is how democracy dies with thunderous applause, right? That, um, that, that there are many of us, maybe most of us, who are, are perfectly willing to give up our freedoms to live in the kind of, you know, uh, stable and prosperous world that we imagine, right? Where there's predictable hierarchy and, um, and, 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 and some degree of prosperity, uh, that if we were to see you know, the consequence of freedom being, you know, living in Zion, by the way, I mean, the people in Zion, you know, they're, they're free in a sense, right? Their minds are free, but yes, they're living in, you know, in power. They get a rave every once in a while, I suppose, um, as you see in the, the matrix. Rave, uh, an orgy, something like that. Rave slash orgy. Um, by the way, that's another part. Aren't of all the, raves orgies? Uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't old enough, I think in the nineties to, to really kind of, uh, um, appreciate that. But, um, uh, but there, but there is, I think a sense, right. That, um, uh, now I lost the thread of what I was saying. <laughs> I just got, uh, Oh, um, I was saying that that's another part of the, of the sequels that, um, that when I first saw it, I was like, this is ridiculous. And then I rewatched it and I saw what they were trying to go for, what the Wachowskis were trying to go for in that, in that scene. Additionally, uh, you know, this is something I think that that's worth us discussing the matrix. Um, I don't think it was part of the conversation around the matrix originally, but um, not long after it had kind of entered into the cultural consciousness, um, there became a, a very significant uh, thread of conversation around the matrix um, that was that that read it as a as a trans allegory, um, and then of course uh, the directors uh, of the of the original trilogy came out um, as trans uh, uh, about a decade or so after. Um, the third installment was was released, um, lending more credence and credibility to the argument about the Matrix being a trans allegory. Seeing right. some of the scenes like the Coming rave out, scene yeah. and some of the BDSM elements of it, you know, kind of said like, oh, yeah, how could anybody have missed the possibility this is a trans allegory? Hearing Neo at the end of the original Matrix say, you know, my name is Neo, not Mr. Anderson, right? As, uh, as uh, Agent Smith keeps on calling him, you see, right, like, yeah, of course, this was a trans allegory, um, but uh, uh, but uh, I think that that highlights the ways in which 
um, the themes of this movie, um, you know, transcend uh, easy interpretation, a simple interpretation, and and lend itself to uh, many possible ways of looking at it. Yeah, but I guess I'm left wondering. the The first Matrix movie, what was incredible, right? It was groundbreaking, both from a special effects, VFX, cinematography, um, fight sequencing perspective. I see this movie, $190 million spent, and I'm not really sure where that money went to. You know, maybe some CGI, you and I joked before, well, you had to bring back Carrie Ann Moss and and, and uh, Keanu Reeves, so you have to pay them something. I'm also not sure if this movie was necessary, right? Was this movie needed to continue the Matrix story, or was this almost like a soft reboot of the Matrix franchise, uh, you, you sort of see this at the beginning of the movie, right? That they were joking about the video game, Jonathan Groff's character, whose name was Mr. Smith, by the way, um, mm-hmm. was sort of like, uh, hey, Warner Brothers, there was a big F you to Warner Brothers. Was, Warner Brothers is going to make a new Matrix video game, quote unquote, with or without you, Thomas Anderson, what are you going to do? There are rumors that Warner Brothers approached uh, Lana Wachowski and said, hey, we're going to make a new Matrix movie with or without you because we own the IP, but this is your story. Would you rather have control over it or have us take control over it? Yeah, well, so I think that that's actually not even rumors at this point. I think that that's uh, established fact that that's what Warner Brothers uh, said to the Wachowskis. Um and uh, and 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 uh, pointedly, uh, only Lana uh, made was involved in making this movie. Lily uh, w- wasn't involved, um, but uh, you know, I think that that it, it does um, you know offer a, a commentary and fu, if you you know, to use your words, um, to the uh, uh, to the to the reboot and legacy uh, um, and um, commodification culture, right? The, uh, you know this. Did listen? You could make an argument like, did Epis did uh, the Matrix um, uh, Reloaded Revolutions need to get made uh, in the early two thousands? Arguably not. The original Matrix could have stood on its own as as a movie. But at least in this case, um, you know, it's clear that there's there's a trend in in Hollywood. Um, I think that Marvel has um, not helped this, uh, but uh, but. It, uh, uh, because it, it does often, um, you know, uh, now, now especially twenty years into Marvel, feed on its own nostalgia. Um, but you know, this has been this has been. I mean, you've seen that like, we didn't talk about uh, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, but uh, we talked about it offline. Um, but this, you know, sense in 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 Hollywood that like, listen, making movies is an expensive proposition. Um, people are much more inclined. Uh, to uh, to to spend their money on a known entity than than to take the risk on uh, something that they aren't familiar with. Well, um, so we're going to mine the nostalgia. Yeah, but when you mine the nostalgia with as a soft reboot, where like you bring in a little bit of the 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 old and introduce some of the new, right? We see that with. Ghostbusters Afterlife, we see that with Cobra Kai, uh, then what you're hoping to do is bring in two generations simultaneously, two different demographics, the people who yearn for that nostalgia and and people who see this as something new. Yeah, Matrix 
Resurrections, whatever it's called, um, could have probably been watched without watching the original trilogy because there were actually so many flashbacks from the original trilogy. Um, I don't know if anybody actually was interested in watching it if they hadn't watched the original trilogy. And something that you and I talked about, like my kids saw Ghostbusters Afterlife without watching Ghostbusters 1 or Ghostbusters 2 or that not so great Ghostbusters uh, reboot. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. hot take. Um, and they loved it. Um, I so, loved Ghostbusters Afterlife um, while loving the original, only sort of loving the second one and hating that reboot. Uh, I, the question is, how long, right? This is This is what you and I talked about offline. Is Matrix something that people, even in like our nerdy sci-fi bubble that we sometimes live in, is Matrix something that people are talking about? Is Matrix something even people something that people were talking about 10 years ago? Well, listen, I think I think that that people have been talking about the Matrix um ever since the first movie came out. I just think that people haven't been clamoring for a sequel to uh, another sequel to the Matrix. So I think that the Matrix has been part of our cultural conversation since 1999. You know, um I, I, I uh you know, we talked about the trans politics of it. That's actually mentioned explicitly in in the movie. We talked about um how it how the original movie um, uh, changed filmmaking uh, in in many many ways. Um, we mentioned before the before we started recording that the Matrix, um, uh, that the the time that's elapsed between the original Matrix and this sequel is the same amount of time that elapsed between the original Star Wars movie and the Matrix. And I think that that the Matrix arguably had uh, had had as much impact on filmmaking as uh, as the original Star Wars did on filmmaking after it came out. Sure, people um, think, still reference it, right? Uh, right, right. We people talked about still, a Space Jam, a new legacy. They they reference that scene from the Matrix. Right, right. Um, you know, one word, bullet time. <laughs> that's a Warner that's Brothers a uses as much IP as they can, and you know, yeah. Um, that's by the way that that one word bullet time is a running joke in the uh, in in the Matrix Resurrections, but um, but. You know, we, we talked about the trans politics of the original Matrix, the whole idea that uh, that reality might be an illusion has remained in the public consciousness. Now, the Matrix didn't invent that, but they put um, they, they they etched it into uh, they gave a touch point to it, a cultural touch point to it that I don't think existed since maybe like Plato's Republic. Um, and uh, and uh, the and some of the ideas in it, like the red pill. Um, were claimed by uh, by the far right uh, in recent years too. Um, so the Matrix has really been present. It's just a matter of like whether people have been clamoring for more Matrix. Um, and I and I think that that the answer to that is probably pretty clearly no. Um, in the same way that like I don't think that people are clamoring for more uh, Avatar, even though James Cameron is apparently making more Avatar. But again, it's because he missed the boat. He took too long to make that sequel. Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, you know, it's interesting. I agree. I don't think people are clamoring for more matrix, but Warner brothers is trying to make money wherever they can. Cause they're struggling to, to put out hits. Right. Um, a year ago we were on this podcast talking about wonder woman 84 and it was not successful, um, e even at the box office or by, you know, critical reviews. And so they're trying to find success wherever they can. Um, where I think the commentary is interesting 
is is twofold. One, we go back to this idea that some people are preferring to stay in the matrix. And how would one um, go in and out of the the matrix was through a telephone connection, right? Uh, and now it was sort of anywhere, any mirror that you found, that was your way in and out of the matrix. And it was a reminder that society is now actually connected to the internet for better or worse, you know, more so than we ever have before, right? Mm -hmm. Anywhere there's a screen, that screen connects us to the internet. It's in front of us right now, because you and I, although this is an audio podcast, you and I see each other as we're recording uh, uh, over video conference, uh, wherever, you know, some of us have televisions in every room of the house, but we actually don't have cable. We quote unquote cut the cord, except we watch more than we ever have before through the internet. Uh, we have tablets and we have cell phones that are smartphones that we barely use to talk on the phone and we use for everything else. Uh, we're connected to the internet more so than we ever have before. Uh, and um, arguably the internet dumb makes us dumber that than, than we are right that, that, that was the joke of is a terrible post credit scene but the post credit scene of matrix resurrections was you know what we need we need the matrix but with cat videos one thing that i think the matrix does well is it talks about right, the whole idea is an allegory of freeing yourself free your mind right free yourself from, from the matrix and, and Kabbalist Jewish mystics have talked about this for forever, right? They introduced this idea of klipot, this idea of these shells, these, these covers, these vessels that that hide God's presence in this world, God's earthly divine presence. And we spend our entire lives trying to remove these shells so that we can experience God. I'm wondering can we see the idea of the matrix as an allegory to that, that the matrix is the material world that we live in that so consumes us so much so that some of us opt for that instead of dealing with the challenges of the real world. But in turn, uh, as a result, those clipotes actually end up hiding the, the beauty of God all around us. Yeah, well, I think that the matrix is is you know pretty clearly a uh, a, a riff on on that idea. That, that idea that's present in Kabbalah is is I think also you know not original to Kabbalah either. Um, uh, it depends on when you think uh, Kabbalah was was primarily developed, but um, it's you know generally. Uh, I think at least in scholarly circles, understood to be uh, um, influenced by Platonic philosophy. And that's, you know, that, that, that idea is, is as at least as early as Plato, that there is um, a deeper reality than the one that we tend to uh, see or, or, or sense. Uh, and that what we ought to strive to do is come into closer alignment with that, you know, underlying reality. Uh, you know, Plato uh, thought it was sort of like what, we, what could be understood by reason. Uh, the Kabbalists would say it's, you know, uh, what could be uh, accessed through, um, uh, through Bitul Hayesh, right, to like, like nullifying your sense of self, connecting to, uh, to, to your source. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, for me, I think that there are, uh, that, that I find meaning and, and value in that mindset, right, that there is, that there's more to the world 
than the the you know material existence that we can that we can sense with our five senses. Um, that there's more to life than that. That when you you know uh, the the Hasidic idea that picks up on the Kabbalistic idea that reading the Torah, you're not really reading about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, you are on some level, but you're actually reading about you. Um, so there's a deeper reality to the Torah um, than than even is apparent on its surface. Um, that that uh, that you know, that reality is in some way um, uh, obscuring our ability to see uh, something, uh, something deeper. And that includes, by the way, the, um, the connection that we have with one another, um, that we are all of us um, interconnected. I mean, that's true when you look at the matrix, right? That uh, people and their actions are, are code scrolling on a screen um, and they're not these sort of like isolated bodies um, so we have this impression uh, experiencing our world that we're separate substances, um, that we're solid separate substances. Um, but the reality is at least, you know, what, what uh, Jewish mysticism says, but I think also on some level, um, even now uh, the cutting edge of science um, demonstrates um, is that we're not solid separate substances, that we are actually on very deep levels, all of us interconnected, that there is a that there is a oneness that pervades all of reality. Um, and that uh, that a the, the neoness. A neoness, right? I actually didn't realize that, I don't think, until rewatching the original trilogy that Neo is an uh, anagram for one, um, even though he's frequently called the one. Um, that in addition, is I think uh, powerful. This is a side note. The uh, but the idea in the second major, what the messianic themes of it. Well, yes, that, but also this idea that's essentially introduced in Matrix Res Resurrections is that uh, that the one is actually the two. Um, that that you need both Neo and Trinity. You always needed both Neo and Trinity um, to actualize the full potential of the one. Um, and that's that what made helps. him the one so different than the one in the previous incarnations of the Matrix, which is really what the architect introduces at the end of Reloaded, uh, that that the the power of, or he calls it stupidity of, humans who choose love. Right. Um, you know, which is, which, which I think helps on some level uh, retcon uh, something in the original trilogy, which is they explore all of these interesting themes and then kind of at the end, um, you know, what, what you're left with is that the meaning of it all is, you know, that, that is the power of love or something. Um, and, 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 the, and Resurrections um, makes that explicit um, in, in a way you know, Neil Patrick Harris says that like the, the real power comes from the uh, from the intersection of of longing and and uh, and yearning and despair. for each other, yearning and despair, right? Hope and despair. So um, and that's that's I think a very Jewish idea, too, that these are kind of like two sides of the same coin and that there's power in between them, um, between what we what we want and recognizing what we can't have. Um, and so. Uh, uh, but that ultimately it's our connection with one another um, that, uh, that, that gives us all power, right? We create the one collectively and not individually. So that, that I think is ultimately the Jewish mystical insight too, that, that 
God's oneness is dependent on the interconnection of everything that is, and God can't be one unless everything that exists realizes and acts upon it. There are interconnectedness as well. So there's a moral dimension to it as well. And in a bit of irony, right, this movie comes out as the Omicron variant is surging in parts of the country, causing some of our communities to rethink what in-person gathering looks like and how that, um, you know, from an emotional and mental health perspective also impacts us, not just from a physical health perspective, because of how difficult isolation was at different points of this um, pandemic, you, you know, and it's also, we, we talked about at the beginning, how maybe the box office was really hurt by the fact that this was released same day and date streaming, uh, as it was released in the box, uh, in, in theaters. Um, it's not so much that, uh, movie theaters are dead. We see Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, already cross worldwide, a billion dollars had the second largest in it, not just in a pandemic, in a pandemic, and it still had the second largest uh, weekend opening, uh, larger than Infinity War, only uh, was seconds to Avengers Endgame. Uh, so we know that people will see movies in in theaters if they're willing. Uh, and there is something to the experience of seeing some movies in theaters. I wonder if not only would I have liked this more if I saw it on a big screen, or would I have liked this more if I saw it with other people? Yeah, well, I think, listen, I think that that both of those things are probably true for this. I think that um, I feel like I would have enjoyed it more had I seen it on the big screen, had I seen it with a crowd. I felt that way about Wonder Woman uh, 84, by the way. I, I feel like it, it might have played better um, had I seen it on the big screen. Um, I haven't yet seen uh, Spider-Man No Way Home uh, because uh, of the um, realities of the pandemic uh, where I live. Um, unfortunately, so I have to wait to see it. So that's the downside, of course, to this is that like, I can't, even though I'm dying to see Spider-Man, I can't see it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I wasn't dying to see the Matrix Resurrections. I wasn't dying to see another Matrix movie, but I, you know, in any case, I, I saw it. If it were in the theater, if it were only in the theater, I'm not sure if I would have paid money for a ticket to go see, maybe I would have, I don't know, out of curiosity. Um, but, um, uh, but, you know, I think that the, the, the real reality here is that I think that this movie probably would have been a disappointment commercially, even if it was only released in the theaters, even not during a pandemic. Um, I, I think that's the, you know, the, the reality of, of Spider-Man and in, the, in that trilogy and in that larger MCU franchise um, just plays differently than, than the Matrix. Um, so uh, especially given the fact that, uh, that people have been, you know, uh, waiting for it for a long time, and that uh, the the reactions, the 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 critical reactions were so good, and all of that. So um, I don't know, but here's what I will say. You know, going back to your point that you made before about the 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 insight that the movie has about how you know constantly connected we are, and so therefore, like any mirror, any screen, whatever can can uh, take you in or out of the out of the matrix. And it was critical about that, but we also have seen during this pandemic how important that connection was. Right. That's exactly right. And I'm not sure that it was totally critical about it in Matrix Resurrections, other than pointing out that it's a, a reality. Um, and uh, and so you're right. I mean, that, I think that what it points to is, 
you know, the, the, uh, that the screens are what connect people uh, in the matrix to the real world. Um, and in our time, screens can be used that way too. They can obscure us to the realities of the world, but they can also connect us to the realities of the world. Um, it's also it's also a downside as well. You know, like lot, there's lots of radicalization happening on the internet um, right now, and and over the last since the since the original Matrix came out, you know, the the internet um, and certainly social media wasn't uh, wasn't a thing when the original Matrix came out. The original Matrix trilogy as a whole came out, um, and and now you know we have especially on the far right. Um, people, you know, uh, radicalizing, becoming uh, violent um, on the internet, sometimes deliberately drawing on terminology and themes from the matrix. So there, there's also that, that, the, that our connectivity um, can do as much to obscure uh, reality, even when we think what it's doing is opening our eyes to, uh, to the real world. And, and that's a, a difficult thing is, you know, and Neo um, wrestles with this in Matrix Resurrections is saying like, you know, the, the, the flashes of reality that he's getting, he keeps on saying like, this has to be a delusion. Um, so, you know, so- uh, It makes him doubt himself, which is their goal, right? right? If you doubt yourself, then you won't yearn for, for what you yearn for, for the reality. It makes you question reality. Right. So that's also, you know, that, that theme was very present in the original Matrix, the, the importance of belief, right? And so to, to your point, right, what, what keeps Neo imprisoned is his inability to believe uh, that, that the other reality that he's getting flashes of are, are possible. Uh, at the same time, it's, um, it, it's potentially... Uh, uh, dangerous, right? If he sees, if he thinks that there's another reality that he can fly, um, but doesn't yet fully understand what that means or how to do it, he will just fall off a building, right? So in the first Matrix, um, you know, he uh, he's told that the rules of, of the Matrix are like any system, they can be bent or broken. But the first time he goes to jump off a building, he isn't able to do what Morpheus is able to do and actually make it to the other building. Right, so there's a danger in, uh, in in sensing that there's more to our reality than meets the eye, but not fully understanding um, what what that what that means. Here's the real question: Is there going to be a Matrix Five? If I have to predict, I will say yes. I think that the uh, that the 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 pull to mine IP for as much. Uh, uh, for as much profit as possible, um, will continue. Whether it will happen without the Wachowskis, without Keanu Reeves, whether it will be a full-blown reboot, you know, of the original uh, series. I think that, to me, a, an actual reboot of the Matrix, the original Matrix, you know, starting from scratch, saying, okay, like we're going to do it, we're going to make it again. That would be interesting. Doing another sequel treating a sequel differently than this sequel treated the matrix. Like, I think that they could have gone really interesting directions after the original trilogy, but they didn't really go in such an interesting direction because they felt too wedded to the pe to the personalities um, to bring back the, the original cast and all that. Like, I, I feel that way about star Wars too. I think that like they could have gone in different, you know, more interesting directions with the uh, sequel trilogy of star Wars um, and decided not to, because they, wanted to 
um, mine the the nostalgia money. But I, if I had to predict, I'd say there'd be a fifth. Yeah, probably because Warner Brothers is, is desperate. Um, I, I will say that that's, I'm not looking at, at box office numbers, but if I had to guess, I think the most successful movie um, this year that was not a part of, that was not a sequel or um, a, a part of established content would be probably Shang-Chi, uh, where you can argue that the ten, the Legend of the Ten Rings and that sort of thing, you had the Mandarin or the fake Mandarin, uh, and it was a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, although um, Shang-Chi itself was an origin story. Um, so it's hard to say that anything within the MCU is original, um, but you're right that a lot of successful IP these days uh, is, is not original content. Um, I appreciate the Matrix more so. I appreciate what that original Matrix movie was. I remember. By the way, by the way, I, I will say, looking at the box office from the from the year, I don't know if this counts streaming, um, but the only uh, the only one I would not count uh, Shang-Chi as uh, in the same way you do. I think that being part of the MCU essentially makes it a uh, um, a, a franchise movie. Um, uh, I would say that the only one that that qualifies as an, a totally original movie would be Free Guy, which was the tenth most uh, successful movie at the box office in twenty. Which was a great movie. Very love Free Guy. Love Free Guy, um, but I didn't see it in theaters. I only saw it when it when it came out on streaming. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the matrix. I remember seeing it in 1999, uh, at the Rialto theater in downtown Westview as Saturday night with a friend uh, from high school. My, my mind was blown away. You know, I like, I, yeah. I, I couldn't stop processing it. Um, and I will probably continue to see every matrix film because of my appreciation of the original, but, um, none of it will live up to that because it's a different world. A different reality um and i'm not sure the world of the matrix that mind-bending mind-blowing world matters to me in the same way it did then because we live in a different world well I, I i agree with that i mean i remember my first experience seeing the matrix 2 i had heard that people liked it but i wasn't you know sure why um and went to see it and my mind was well i think that that's probably the closest um i can remember coming to what i might experience as revelation right the idea that like you didn't think something was possible to do um, until you, you know, and then you see that, that someone has done it and it's, it, it's amazing. And then the, and then the, the, the insight of the matrix uh, or the, the provocative idea of the matrix that like maybe our, maybe there's more to our reality than actually meets the eye that maybe humanity will be responsible for its own destruction. Um, that's our, not an idea that's original of the matrix, but is, is certainly kind of, you know, where the matrix picks up and, the, and that idea that, you know, maybe we are right now, um, uh, you know, dealing with the, with, with in 1999, dealing with the discontent of, you know, reaching, having reached the pinnacle of human civilization. I know that that was, you know, uh, very present in 1999, this idea that we were at the end of history, you know, not just with the Y2K bug, uh, but with the idea that like, you know, we, you know, we, we defeated communism, that, you know, the, the American economy was, uh, was, uh, was, was bigger than it had ever been. There was more sort of widespread peace and prosperity than there had ever been. And of course, once uh, the millennium turned, um, you know, things really fell apart. Um, uh, so, um, you know, the, I, 
in some ways, like if I think about, you know, what from a Jewish perspective, like what revelation is, right? It's coming face to face with something that you, you know, that 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 opens your mind to seeing the world in a way that you never imagined being able to see the world before. Right. And that and you know, and we're, I, we're, I yearn for that again. Right, right. I, I, I yearn to for my mind to be open and expanded. Um in some ways I, I think that that's uh, what Torah can do that, that right. that's right. That's what Torah study can do. It, it should open our minds uh, to a bigger world. Uh, remind us that we are part of a greater universe um, that we are God's partners in creation. And once we're exposed to that world, it's what we do with that world. Amen. Well, let us know what you think of the matrix resurrections and the matrix uh, series. Did we, did we uh, get it right? Or are we still taking the blue pill? Uh, let us know what you think. And of course, uh, as always, we, we encourage you to, uh, to, to share the podcast with others, uh, to uh, rate us and review us, and to smash that subscribe button. Until next time, I am trying to think of a clever Matrix name, but I can't. So just call me Mr. Mr. Anderson. Uh, call me Rabbi Knopf, Rabbi Michael Knopf. And- I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Take care, everyone. <laughs>